What's going on, family? Happy Monday. Welcome to another edition of The Faction. I hope you are doing well. I hope you're having an absolutely amazing day and that your weekend was incredible. That's absolutely my hope and prayer. Certainly, it was a full weekend in the world of pro wrestling. You know what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it. That's what we do here at The Faction. Shout out to all of you who are joining us on the socials, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show. Special shouts to those of you who are subscribed to our podcast wherever it is that you're checking us out spotify apple google or any other space thank you so much and to those who are leaving comments man i so appreciate you you guys are the best if you've not done so take some time to give us a rating and leave us a comment wherever it is that you're checking us out it means all the world so i've got a bit of news that i'm gonna drop exclusive to the faction before the end of the show today about some things that are coming up this week that you will want to pay attention to so be on the lookout for that but right now let's dig in a couple of major things to talk about from this weekend of course the big pay-per-view from over the weekend was the forbidden door pay-per-view as aew and new japan brought us their first ever joint pay-per-view event so i've got to tell you On one hand, if you are one who follows New Japan Pro Wrestling, you understand just how significant this moment is and was. Now, I've been doing my best here at the faction to ensure that we learn about New Japan, that we hear about New Japan regularly. We've been doing that for a few years now, but it is very possible still that, you know, there are some who don't subscribe to New Japan, who don't understand all that's going on over there, which is okay. My hope is that if you did check out the Forbidden Door pay-per-view, you got to see why we've been making such a big deal about all things New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I want to start here. I'll start with results. And again, if this is a spoiler for you and you don't want to know the results yet because you still want to watch, go ahead and hit pause on this podcast, finish watching, and then come back and listen to our analysis. If you've already seen the pay-per-view or you're not really worried about spoilers, then no harm, no foul. Keep on listening. It's going to go down. So let's start here. The pay-per-view started with the buy-in, and what was very different about the buy-in this time around is it wasn't filled with promos to prepare you for the pay-per-view. It was actually filled with like four matches, which is pretty significant, and that's going to be important. I want you to remember that four matches in the buy-in, which is very unusual for AEW, but... I totally get it. So with that said, it started off with a tag team match that saw Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi from New Japan defeat Aaron Solo and QT Marshall of The Factory. Also, Lance Archer defeated Nick Camarado, who's also from The Factory. Then you had the team of Swerve in Our Glory, that is Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee taking on Yoshinobu Kanemaru and El Desperado. The win goes to Swerve in Our Glory. From there, we saw an eight-man tag bout that saw Max Caster and the Gun Club take on the New Japan team from the New Japan Dojo, Yuya Yamura, Alex Coughlin, the DKC, and Kevin Knight. And of course, Billy Gunn and Max Caster end up winning for their team. From there, we go into the actual pay-per-view event, which began with a six-man tag or a trios match. That's how the team of 
Chris Jericho, Sammy Guevara, and Minoru Suzuki defeat the team of Eddie Kingston, Yuta Wheeler, and Shota Umino, which I thought was an amazing match. And because of that, the Jericho Appreciation Society gets the one-man advantage at Blood and Guts this Wednesday night. In a winner-take-all triple threat tag team title match, FTR defeats Rapongi Vice and the United Empire to retain the ROH tag titles and to become the new IWGP World Tag Team Champions. So that makes three tag team championships that they are simultaneously holding as they are also holding the AAA tag team titles as well. Feels like FTR are becoming the new belt collectors, but it's really hard to argue with why that is. In a fatal four-way for the newly christened AEW All-Atlantic Championship, Pac defeats Miro, Malachi Black, and Clark Connors to become the inaugural AEW All-Atlantic Champion. The Bullet Club took on the Dudes with Attitudes, and this originally was supposed to be an eight-person tag match. However, Hiromu Takahashi was unable to compete, so it turned into a six-man tag that saw the Young Bucks and El Phantasmo take on Sting, Darby Allin, and Shingo Tagaki. The win goes to the Dudes with Attitudes. Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm. Thunder Rosa retains the AEW Women's World Championship in a match that could have been arguably the match of the night. Certainly surprised a lot of folks. Will Ospreay retained the IWGP United States Championship, defeating Orange Cassidy in what was really an incredible, incredible match. Zack Sabre Jr. battled a mystery opponent who would ultimately be named as the newest member of the Blackpool Combat Club, and that would be Claudio Castanoli, formerly known as Cesaro, who made his massive AEW debut last night, getting the win over Zack Sabre Jr. What? A match. Then you've got the fatal four-way for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship that saw Jay White successfully defend against Hangman Page, Kazuchika Okada, and Adam Cole. The main event, John Moxley versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW Interim World Championship. John Moxley gets the win and becomes the new AEW Interim World Champion. Technically, he's the first two-time AEW World Champion, though I'm not sure if they'll acknowledge that until CM Punk returns in a title unification match. So, let's dig into some of my thoughts on the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. First and foremost, I have to acknowledge that AEW very clearly learned their lesson from Double or Nothing. You remember the Double or Nothing pay-per-view went ultimately about five and a half hours if you include the buy-in. This time around, they were smart. They put four matches on the buy-in to keep things in an hour. This pay-per-view was over by 11.45 or so Eastern Standard Time, which meant that we dealt with a pay-per-view under five hours. It says that they learned a lot from Double or Nothing. AEW has already conditioned their fans to have about a four-hour pay-per-view if we're going from eight until midnight, and that is 
again, is usually because they only do pay-per-view four times a year, this one being a very special occasion. I was nervous that this would be a long one because New Japan fans are used to lengthy pay-per-views and the like, so yeah, shout out to AEW and New Japan for keeping this time frame in something that's reasonable, that kept our attentions, that didn't keep us up past midnight. So that's a big win. Secondly, I think the match quality and the match caliber all the way around was absolutely fantastic for this pay-per-view. Now, we will always wonder how much better it could have been if there were not injuries. And there were a ton of injuries leading into this. Really, all of last week, the card kept getting changed because of the injuries. So, for instance, it was supposed to be Brian Danielson taking on Zack Sabre Jr. and we'll only be able to imagine what that match would have been like and actually we could start at the very top of the card as it was supposed to be CM Punk versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the AEW World Championship. Punk gets injured and then now we have an interim world championship. There were a lot of injuries that were connected to this pay-per-view which you could make the argument A, this is not ballet so we understand that but B, now it, it really brings to question just how physical of a style both is happening in AEW and in New Japan. We understand that kind of thing and so that's just how that works. We get it. We'll never know what that would have looked like but we'll be intrigued to see what this will look like in the future. The United Center completely sold out there and it sold out very, very fast for Forbidden Door, over 16,000 in attendance, which is a big, big deal. So let's talk about some of the standout moments I think that happened from this pay-per-view. I got to go to Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland against Kanemaru and El Desperado. I actually hate that this wasn't on the main pay-per-view, but I'm glad that it was at least in the buy-in easily the best match and the most anticipated match of the buy-in without question they really put in amazing work and i think there's a lot to be said for this team of swerve strickland and keith lee if they can stay on the same page i think we've really got ourselves a special tag team and i'll say that i think that the aew tag team division had a bit of a lull for a little bit. I don't think that Jurassic Express were the best representatives for the tag team department. But with that said, I think that division is growing. I mean, think about the literal elite teams that you have there. You've got the Young Bucks and FTR who really they could trade the tag titles for the next two years and nobody would complain about it. But with that said, you have some other level teams that are coming up behind them that I think we really want to pay attention to. That being Team Taz and Swerve in Our Glory. So some very interesting things happening in the tag division for AEW and shout out to them. With that said, getting into the main pay-per-view, the idea of Chris Jericho and Minoru Suzuki on the same team was special. And so I have to say this in terms of the crafting of this pay-per-view. On one hand, many would have thought it would have been literally an AEW versus New Japan pay-per-view. And that did happen in some cases. But then there were other cases where you saw the fusion of AEW and New Japan in terms of tag teams. This trios match was a great example of that. And then what was supposed to be the eight-man tag match of the Bullet Club versus Dudes with Attitude still ended up being this merger 
of AEW and New Japan squads, which I just thought was brilliant. And part of the reason why I think it's so brilliant is what you don't want to end up doing is having an AEW versus New Japan pay-per-view from start to finish that's happening in a place that's not neutral. So, for instance, this is happening on AEW soil, Chicago, one of their home base cities. So you kind of make the assumption that AEW is going to walk out looking the best. With that said, I think that this was booked in such a way where both companies looked very, very strong. Both companies had a lot to be able to give to us. And again, the matches for the most part and their results made sense. So I really liked how this was all put together. And again, because there was so much great wrestling and so many great moments, you really couldn't be upset with this. Now, with that said, I think there were a couple of matches on the buy-in that I don't know really would have served as a match that would intrigue us to actually purchase the pay-per-view. For instance, Lance Archer and Nick Camarado. Now, listen, no knock to either of them, but that was a match that probably could have happened on Rampage. We could have used that amount of time to save for either another match or extended that time into the main pay-per-view. So no knock to either of them. That just wasn't one of those matches that you go, yeah, I want to see this. And you could make the same argument about the match with Max Caster and the Gun Club against the members of the LA Dojo. In my opinion, and certainly if this were a New Japan pay-per-view, that match would have kicked off the card because the members of the dojo would end up being in the first match. That's kind of how that's done in New Japan, obviously done differently in AEW, and it certainly would have made sense that the match that walks us out of the buy-in would have been the match with Swerve and Keith Lee against Kanemaru and El Desperado. But with that said, still... An overall really solid, solid card. So there were certain matches that were just incredible, right? The tag title match between Rapongi Vice, United Empire, and FTR. So here again is a match where injuries almost ruined what this could have been as an injury happened early on to one half of FTR. And it looked for a while like we were going to have a handicap match. They end up coming back winning the tag titles, but there was almost a botched call in there, which a lot of people were upset about and really could have altered the result of that match. Either way, I don't think anybody can argue that of the three teams, FTR is the best tag team, and uh, that's really, really exciting to see. All of that said, man, the All-Atlantic Championship match was fantastic. I think a lot of people thought Miro was going to win. For Pac to come out as the winner, I like it. I like it a lot. I think he's been deserving of a championship. Let's remember, he's the first guy in AEW to actually defeat Kenny Omega. By the way, there were a number of Kenny Omega mentions on the show, which made me wonder, would we see Kenny Omega show up in some way, shape, or form? Obviously, that did not happen, but it's making me wonder, are we that much closer to the return of Kenny Omega. Either way, shout out to Pac, the new AEW All-Atlantic Champion. The entrance of Sting was incredible. 
I, I, I just can't get past how good that actually was. He didn't show up when they thought he was going to. And then there was this moment where they pointed to the rafters. And then it turned out where he ends up leaping off of the entranceway onto the Bullet Club. Like, oh, man, you forget sometimes that Sting is in his 60s. Wow. That's amazing. Shout out to Sting. And every moment we get with Sting from here on in is one that we really should value and treasure because you really don't know how much longer we'll get those moments. But these are incredible moments for Sting. Thunder Rosa, Tony Storm, man, they gave us great wrestling. They really, really did. And they continue to build AEW's women's division in a big way. Thunder Rosa, I think, is a really solid champion. I am nervous about what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think something's going to need to be done with Thunder Rosa. I just found myself not as into that match as I should have been. And I just think that Thunder Rosa right now is a great wrestler. But for whatever reason, I'm not getting the kind of personality and the kind of charisma that I know she has that I saw in the NWA. I'm not getting that in these matches these days. So I don't know what's changed. I don't know if it's the weight of being champion. I don't know. But it's very interesting. I was very surprised to see Tony Storm lose in the way that she did. And it does make you wonder what's next for Tony Storm. We'll have to find out, obviously, all together. But uh, definitely a good match, a really solid match between Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. Orange Cassidy and Will Ospreay. I probably was looking forward to this match the least of all of the announced matches on the card because Orange Cassidy still, to some reasons, feels like, you know, he's a comedy act. But last night reminded us, yo, Orange Cassidy is that guy. To hang with Will Ospreay is not an easy thing to do. And he did more than hang with Will Ospreay. Orange Cassidy is a major player. Do not be fooled by a seemingly lackadaisical presentation. He has got the goods. And he is a problem. I'm telling you. Go back and watch this match on the pay-per-view because this one alone is worth the price of admission. What a match between Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy. I am curious with trying to figure out if Juice Robinson was in the building last night with the U.S. title, and he was, mm, why didn't that particular issue get resolved it is kind of wild and i don't understand why that hasn't been resolved yet but we'll see we'll see zach saber jr and claudio castanoli oh gosh if you're a wrestling purist this match was everything you wanted and then some and perhaps what i enjoyed the most about this is claudio's reception now to that end i think aew missed the boat in his entrance video and here's what i mean by that you cannot create intrigue when the first thing you play on the video is the name of the person who's supposed to be a surprise right so literally the music hits and the fans go crazy because they're seeing it but we at home don't see what's happening but we know obviously they're aware of who this is the idea is to build that intrigue so that when the name is announced we all pop we all lose it 
that didn't happen. So that was probably my primary issue with the execution of the entrance of Claudio, formerly known as Cesaro. But with that said, the match was incredible. He is a perfect fit for the Blackpool Combat Club. And again, the idea, and we could make an interesting discussion point about this at some point. Think about the Blackpool Combat Club. With the exception of Wheeler, Utah, everyone in there is former WWE. You're talking about John Moxley, Brian Danielson, now Claudio Castanoli, and they're managed by William Regal. It's a bit of a dream squad, if we're honest, and I think it's a statement that all of them were far bigger than what they were given the opportunity to be in WWE. And so being in this scenario is pretty intriguing. Now, I do think it's time for Claudio to be able to win some championships. Obviously, that's not going to happen on day one, and I don't look for that to happen on day one. But I think before the year is out, we should see Claudio with either the TNT championship or the newly minted All-Atlantic championship. I think that would be kind of epic, to be perfectly honest with you. All right. With that said, we're going to get to the last two matches, which were world title matches. We'll talk about that when we return and drop a bit of a bombshell in terms of news. Southern Honor Wrestling is now on IWTV. Relive the biggest moments and memories from SHW's historic first year. Simon Dallas Bacon here at Southern Honor Wrestling. Quit. What Jericho is here and can't watch out. It's going on. Oh my God. Give me a minute. Oh man. Over you. Oh. Because we're just getting started. Don't miss another second of SHW, the fastest growing independent promotion in the Southeast. Check out Southern Honor Wrestling now at independentwrestling.tv. New subscribers use promo code SHW to get five free days. SHW, this is our wrestling. I've known Dylan since he was 15. I've known what a crazy fanatic he's been. He never just went and played. So what are you doing? Well, you know, I gotta plan the show first. He wants to be the guy shaping. Dylan used to run shows back in his hometown and ever since he moved to Atlanta, I know that he's been really wanting to start his own company here. I had that fear of not being what's interesting in Atlanta. I said, I'm gonna start my own wrestling promotion. You need to get in a room with this guy. Because at the end of the day, wrestling had grown stale in Georgia. I'm like, dude, this guy's ruffling everybody's feathers. Dylan learned that I'm impatient and I announced that we were gonna start a promotion 90 days later. And I knew that I had no content. But then I started to see all the things that he was doing. It was starting to look really professional. Gary had stirred up so much shit. We were gonna be the laughing stock of the entire city if we didn't deliver. Perceptions, reality. How did we get on Southern Honor? What was the process of them walking over there like, I'm gonna do that? I thought, honestly, he was dead. You hear his brain swelling. I literally thought Southern Honor was probably done. You always told me, if you don't like an idea, come up with a better idea. You're telling me you won't listen to the idea? And we're gonna pack 1,000 people! I couldn't wait for an answer from Chris. We weren't sure. No confirmation. Hey, How about that? Oh. 
The lights are going out here. The first indie show I've ever done in 23 years was with Southern Honor, and now everyone's talking about this company. Nothing bigger than that's ever going to happen here. Forward a few minutes later, it was extremely hard to maintain relationships because I was working with Gary. I don't know that they would go to war for me. They would go to war for Dylan. Finally, this year's going to be mine. COVID. I can honestly say my last match will be here just because Southern Honor is that special to me. So many things that have happened in my life that you could write on paper and it would read as a book. And Southern Honor is just another chapter. As long as there's a them and there's a you, there will always be a S-H-W. What's up, guys? This is Mark here in the World's Strongest Man, and you're tuned in to The Faction. All right, we are recapping AEW and New Japan's Forbidden Door pay-per-view, which took place last night. We are down to the final two matches, which were world title matches. The IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, Jay White. Adam Cole, Hangman Adam Page, and Kazuchika Okada. First of all, the reaction for Okada was otherworldly. And if you're unfamiliar with Kazuchika Okada, look him up on YouTube, check out his matches. He is the epitome of the 60-minute man, and he does it regularly. One of the things we don't see him in often is a multi-man match. Now, there's a rumor that part of the reason for this multi-man match was to be able to hide some injuries that both Okada and Cole are nursing. That becomes really important because if you watch this match, you could tell there were moments where Okada almost seemed out of it and Cole wasn't fully himself and it would ultimately be an injury to Adam Cole that would end up resulting in the end of this match as Jay White would pin Adam Cole to retain the championship. It was an amazing match. It really, really was. Injuries or not, an incredible match. Those four guys battling for the IWGP World Championship, incredible, just incredible. That leads us to the main event. The main event, John Moxley, Hiroshi Tanahashi. So I'm just gonna put this out there and say this. If AEW really wanted there to be some major conversation, then Tanahashi would have won the world title last night. Can you imagine the conversation Hiroshi Tanahashi as the AEW interim world champion to ultimately face CM Punk to unify the titles? That would have been massive. You would have had the AEW world championship on New Japan television. You would have had, obviously, some time for Tanahashi to spend here in the States. The problem with a match like this is if you don't have Tanahashi committing to being in the United States for a bit, then none of this ends up making sense, right? I think John Moxley was way too predictable in winning this. I don't know that I wanted to see John Moxley as the AEW world champion. I don't think Moxley needed to be AEW world champion at this point. But this presumably sets up a match between Moxley and Punk, which is must-see, as is Tanahashi and Punk. I thought they told a great story. Again, I think this ends up happening on AEW soil. I get it, right? Would the match have gone differently in the Tokyo Dome? Maybe. I don't know. But with that said, I'm so glad that Tanahashi and Okada were able to receive the kind of love that they received. 
at AEW and New Japan's Forbidden Door pay-per-view. So a great pay-per-view start to finish. I loved virtually everything about it, except for the end. Oh, I think it was pointless to have this preview at the end of the pay-per-view for Blood and Guts. We didn't need it. It marred what I thought was a really special moment between Moxley and Tanahashi. Tanahashi never really got to get his come up. Uh, and this was, again, all used to promote Blood and Guts Wednesday night, which this pay-per-view wasn't designed to promote. So I didn't like that at all. A couple of other things before we go. One of them being, I loved the commentary team. Excalibur, Taz, and Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly being the voice of New Japan on the English translation, so it only made sense if you're gonna have a dual pay-per-view that you have his voice. It was amazing. I thought this was amazing for Taz. I believe it's his first AEW pay-per-view that he had the opportunity to call. And I thought he was fantastic. It was great. That mixture of the three of them was fantastic. You sprinkle in a little Tony Schiavone at some point. You sprinkle in a little JR at some point. You sprinkle in a bit of Caprice Coleman. And it's a win. It's a great way to utilize all of their commentary team. And I love that Caprice is getting such great shine on AEW, whether it's Dynamite, Rampage, and now this pay-per-view. He's also on the Double or Nothing pay-per-view as well. So shout out. I just love the way that it's happening and uh, great, great work for them. Before we go, a bit of a bombshell in terms of news, and I'm sure this will be all over Twitter if it's not already. There is a story that is being reported in the New York Magazine on their online channel called The Intelligencer. And the story is about the first ever female WWE referee. Her name is Rita Chatterton. And the reason you should know about her, number one, she is the first WWE female referee. And she actually was the first to do this back in the 80s, which is pretty impressive. The however and comma is you might not know her name, but you need to because in 1992, she came forward publicly to accuse Vincent Kennedy McMahon of raping her in the summer of of 1986 now she came forward in 92 however at that time the statute of limitations for rape had already run out which is kind of amazing to think that there was only a six-year statute of limitations so because of that at that time there were no charges brought against mcmahon Plus, if you think about 92 and around that time frame, there were a ton of other scandals going on with WWE. Particularly, we start looking at the steroid trial and a few other things. So people kind of forgot about this. The reason it's coming back up now is because, of course, the major story that happened just a couple of weeks ago from the Wall Street Journal, where McMahon was accused of paying millions of dollars as hush money to silence multiple women he had sexual relationships with uh, who worked for him. This news disgusted a former wrestler, former wrestler who went by the name of Mario Mancini, who was an enhancement talent at that time, and he corroborates the story of this referee, Rita Chatterton. He says, quote, 
I remember it like yesterday. She was a wreck. She was shaking. She was crying. According to Mancini, he says that McMahon has, quote, dug himself into such a deep hole that I'm tired of it and I can't do it anymore. In this article, he actually describes what happened with Chatterton and McMahon. And she talks about the situation where she was apparently in Vince's limo. She let out a voluntary oh no. And she told the story to Mario Mancini. It's a bit graphic, so I won't describe the story. I'll just simply say she clearly remembered it. From there, Mario Mancini remembered telling this referee, quote, your days are numbered. You're not going to be here. And shortly thereafter, the WWE stopped calling her for referee appearances starting that summer. So with that said, this is bad. I'm sure this is going to obviously come out and be a big, big story. I mean, it's in the New York magazine. So that's a big situation there. What will come of this? I don't know. But this is another unfortunate story. And with these stories piling up with Vince McMahon, it really makes you wonder what is the future of Vince McMahon in the wrestling business. So we'll have to check that out. So with that said, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this incredible story surrounding Vince McMahon and the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Hit us up on the socials at The Faction Show. And one other piece of news before we go, got a big interview coming for you guys this week as we're going to sit down and talk to Josiah Williams. He's also known as Wrestling Flow. He spent quite a bit of time in NXT, done some amazing things in the world of hip hop. You could hear his voice on AEW Impact and a bunch of other places. He's going to be our special guest this week on the podcast. So stay tuned. We'll keep you posted on when we will air that interview. I'm super pumped for this one because I've been waiting for this one for a few years now. So shout out to Josiah Williams. We'll have that interview coming this week. Stay Stay tuned to our social channels for more information. Also, make sure you're getting the new t-shirt, Bet On You. You can get it at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Bonnerfied. People are loving it in black and in military green. We may be working on some few additional colors, so stay posted. But grab your t-shirt if you haven't done so already. And if you have, take a picture of it, post it on the socials, tag us so we can repost it and uh, let the world know about it. All right, with that said, we will see you guys next time. Big episode of Monday Night Raw coming tonight. The 20th anniversary of John Cena and Cena will be on Raw tonight. So I'm looking forward to that and much more. Until next time, representing for my good brothers, Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the EP, John Murray. This is Gerard Bonner, and this is The Faction.